The Suns keep winning, I keep getting things wrong, and we're breaking all of it down on today's episode of Locked on Suns after a 12th straight win by your Phoenix Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, covering the Suns the past five seasons as a credentialed media member. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. Lots to talk about every single day, so you never want to miss a show. We are free on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, here on the Locked On Suns YouTube channel has been growing. I have a giveaway for you guys. We're getting there slowly but steadily. Um, A giveaway towel, a purple game towel from opening night of the season when we get to subscriber number 500. And then of course, when we get to subscriber number 1000, Kelly Oubre is going to be here. Follow us at Locked On PHX Suns if you don't already to keep up with everything. And me, of course, at Brennan Clean 14. But two big games to get to, two more wins by the Suns. Look, these star players keep dodging the Suns, so you can call these easy wins if you want. The Suns took care of business. That's all that matters. So we'll do our usual kind of recap show, but we'll do two and one this time. So 112-104 against Dallas on Friday, and then of course Sunday night, which is when I am recording this show, 126-97 to over the Denver Nuggets, who are without Jokic, Porter, and Murray. So look, that one, that one should have been a blowout, but again... You do get style points, I think, for blowing out the teams that you should, and so we'll get into all of it. But as always, let's start with the big takeaway. Start with the big, big point that we want to drive home from this one, these two in this case. Um, A couple. There's actually a couple. Um, But let me start with pace, and it's not the necessarily number that you're thinking of, which is possessions per game, the Suns in uh, this Denver game, 98.4, excuse me, the Dallas game prior, 98.1. They've been hovering right around there all season. Nothing spectacular. In fact, sometimes somewhat slow in terms of possessions per game overall, but uh, that's because in some, in some ways, Um, The Suns themselves are not a high offensive rebounding team. They are a pretty good defensive rebounding team, so teams aren't getting second possessions. The Suns in these two games, at the very least, made a whole ton of their shots, so the other team is not able to get out and transition a ton. The Suns are keeping their turnovers low, so that stuff can artificially affect general pace, which is why that's not always actually that good of a stat, although it is beloved here with our seven seconds or less dreams, it's not always the most accurate way to look at things. What can be more accurate is just looking at the games, watching the games. And I think it's pretty obvious that these two contests showed the Suns really getting comfortable playing with the type of pace that they want. We know in the half court, it's the 0.5 offense. It's the quick decision, not holding the ball, players moving and reading the floor and dishing the ball around and beating defensive rotations with all of that more so than outrageous athleticism or all the other types of things that other teams might do, right? So that is the Sun style. 
but they really got back to it in these two games. And I would say especially in the Denver game where they had 34 assists to just 11 turnovers. In the Dallas game, they had 17 turnovers, but 28 assists. So right around that 30 number, which is a I mean, it's a benchmark the Suns want to hit. It's a, it's a pretty common benchmark that teams around the league try to aim for. And it really shows that that, that is working. Um, the other one that I always look to is three-point attempts because we know the Suns don't really take bad threes necessarily. They have great shooters. If the ball is finding a player who wants to take a three, odds are that's a pretty good shot. And if they're generating a lot of those, that means the offense is working. They were at 29 three-point attempts on Friday night, and then 36 here against Denver to close out the week. So very good all around. But I would even say more specifically than that, some of the actual lineups that you're seeing, first of all, Mikhail Bridges being confident is huge. Landry Shamit getting comfortable, although he still is in a cold streak. Unfortunately, that has been really big. Cam Johnson, of course, with the 22 points against Denver, Those guys have that green light and they have that quick trigger and that's always going to be big. But the amount of ball handling that the Suns can put on the floor with a lot of these units, and I think especially because of the presence of Shamit, you're starting to see things really get unlocked because Bridges is comfortable. He had four assists in that first game and uh, I'm sorry, in the Nuggets game and three in the Dallas game. And then of course, we know that Shamit, Payne, Booker, and Paul can all put the ball on the ground, can all playmate for their teammates, push the pace, hit ahead passes. They're all great at that. They all are committed to it. The departure of Willie Green hopefully did not make too big of a dent if this early season shows anything. So all of that is very good. And I think it's a huge reason why not only the Suns won these two games, but why you have to feel really good about them kicking it into gear. They have this road trip now where they're going to go to the East Coast. They're going to be tested a little bit. Cleveland, they're getting lucky catching Cleveland with no Evan Mobley. That should have been a tougher game. But then you have, I think, both of the New York teams to close out the weekend. So you got to hope that that identity that they're developing again and solidifying after they really put it all together in last year's postseason is really going to help. I know that's been the really like the the blueprint, the, the, re- the repetition that I've been giving you guys throughout this win streak is that it's not like they're reinventing the wheel. It's them getting back to what they found at the end of the last regular season into the playoffs. And they're really just running roughshod over the NBA because they didn't have this level of execution last year for the full year. It took them a while. Now we're seeing what it looks like when they really have it going at all times. The other big takeaway from these two contests, from these two wins is that DeAndre Ayton is taking advantage of the matchups that he should take advantage of. If you remember back last spring, when I guess, I mean, it was this year, but last spring, meaning the end of the last regular season, what really opened my eyes, I know I talked about it on this show, I know you all noticed it watching at home, is the way that Ayton was able to handle matchups. Like, identify what was going to be needed in a game, what advantages that he had. I'm sure some of that's game planning. I'm sure some of that is a high IQ basketball team identifying how to exploit its opponent. So I'm not saying that that's all Aiton, but I think he deserves a huge amount of the credit for doing this. It was 
The Kings, if you remember last spring, there was a game where the Kings closed with Harrison Barnes at the five. DeAndre Ayton hit two clutch shots at the end of that game to help put it away because he had that size advantage. The Suns found him in the paint, in the at the elbow area, and he was able to do some damage. Another, I think two games late last season, they played the Rockets, Christian Wood, a player that, you know, a, an older version of Ayton would have struggled with. Not the case in this one. Uh, in that game, or I think it was two, like I said, where Aiton was able to just physically overpower Christian Wood, execute the pick and roll on both ends of the floor. Christian Wood is still a very raw player. He plays a little bit loose, and DeAndre Aiton was able to take advantage of that. Now, in these games, in the Mavs game, with Kristaps Porzingis not really playing up to his size, and the Mavs downsizing for larger portions of the game, Aiton was able to dominate on the glass. Would you like to have seen him score a little bit more? Sure, but he grabbed 17 rebounds. And then to close out a very good week, he had 21 and eight against the Nuggets, was able to really punish them with Nikola Jokic out, whether that was Jermichael Green or Aaron Gordon or whomever it might've been. Aiton was able to pound the ball inside and really, really hurt them. Um, Four offensive rebounds, a block, uh, two blocks actually, one really, really big one against, I believe, Facundo Campazzo, maybe Monte Morris on a drive to the basket, just exerting his size in a way. And even you think back to the last couple of weeks of the regular season last year, there was that Rudy Gay game where Aiton really outplayed him. So that is the Aiton that you know when you see, right? You know it when you see it. He is playing that way. He is rising to the matchup, rising to the moment. Hopefully his legs are back under him. Conditioning was one of the main issues, but he didn't even have to cross 30 minutes in either one of these games. So very good stuff all around. That was the other big thing that jumped out to me is we did not see a gaudy stat line, some sort of 30-point game or anything like that from DeAndre Ayton, but we saw him executing and exploiting, and that's what he's going to have to do. That's what he did all last season. That's what he did in the right, in the play, uh, playoffs last year. He's not going to be this guy who is a wrecking ball, but he can be huge in his role and a really Really important piece. We know that, and he proved it again. Want to talk about Devin Booker and his three-point shooting? We like to hit the the other sort of secondary positives in this second segment, so that's exactly what we will do. First, though, a quick word from Prize Picks, the best NBA daily fantasy prop game on the market, bar none. We love Prize Picks here at the Locked On Podcast Network, and we know that you guys will love it too. Here's the deal. First of all, it offers more NBA props than any other daily fantasy operator, but here's how you use them. It's not the same as just logging onto an account and, you know, overpassing yards on Patrick Mahomes. No, you make a lineup based on these props. So let's say pretty easy bet lately has been Steph Curry over on points. That's a spot in your lineup. You pick two to five of these. You can mix and match leagues. So let's say you go over Steph Curry points. Let's say you go under Ezekiel Elliott rushing yards. You can mix and match between the NBA and NFL. You can stop it too. You can do just those two and that's your lineup for the week. Or you can pick up to five and you're not competing against a pool. You're not competing against anything, only yourself. Two, take advantage of prize picks. You're going to log on to prizepicks.com or check out their mobile app. Use the promo code NBA when you log in to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA at prizepicks.com for a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's show also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. 
Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You've got sports highlights on your phones and your neighbor's best friend's login just for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, no annual contracts. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Devin Booker over the weekend was, I believe... 5 of 13 from deep, which is pretty darn good on nice volume and, of course, most importantly, making his shot. So it's been a little bit since I checked in on this. I wanted to do it again. Thank you guys for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single day. Hopefully, these little check-ins are what you're looking for. And um, we'll close out the show with another update. Frank Kaminsky stress reaction in his knee and so I'll get to that as well um 6.1 three-point attempts per game and I want to get the per 36 numbers over the course of his career because that's really what puts it into perspective here for Mr. Booker per 36 minutes he's at 6.7 three-point attempts per game which would be the most since 2017-18, which was by far the best three-point shooting season of his entire career. He made 38% of them that year, attempted 7.4 per 36 minutes. So this year, he'd be pretty darn close to that in attempts and in efficiency. And it's continued. I mean, this is a pretty good sample size at this point. 15 games, almost 500 minutes, and let's see, total three-point attempts so far this year, almost 100. So, you know, We'll see. I'm not trying to write it off as Booker is now back to that 2017-18 form as a shooter, but a very, very good signs. The fact that he's diligent about continuing to take them. We saw in that Mavs game, a couple, I believe, in the fourth quarter from him, from his range is extending, which is cool to see. He's, I think, even could push it further, to be completely honest, because I think we've all seen times, and I, look, I... It is far be it for me to say that Devin Booker should do this or that on a basketball court in terms of shot selection, because what on earth do I know? But there are still times I feel like where he passes up a pretty good three and doesn't always get a better shot out of it. Now, I get he he has a better finger on the pulse of his own rhythm and the players around him and, and what they need and, and who, who needs a shot that might not have gotten one in, in a bit. All of that matters, and that's a lot that he's responsible for that goes far beyond just taking threes. My point, though, is he could be taking even more and his range is extending and he's been pretty solid at at least making the catch and shoot shots that he's getting. So if he keeps taking the pull up shots, because that's just important to keep the defense honest, maybe he increases that a little bit. He makes 40 plus percent of the catch and shoot threes and maybe he is even more aggressive about just taking those catch-and-shoot threes, even if there might be a little bit of a different or more uh, preferable shot for him in the in the flow of the offense. You're talking about a guy who might be able to genuinely um, be even better than he is right now at th- in the three-point range. And 
really truly threatened that 2017-18 season for one of his best shooting seasons of all time. That was something pretty obvious that he was going to need to do in order to become a more dynamic player that defenses had to treat a little bit differently than they did last season where of course we remember the 40 point game in the finals where you know the Bucks were basically inviting him to take those mid-range and long paint types of shots and he made them and he made them pay but it wasn't enough and so having this three-point arsenal from different types of shots different ranges of shot that's going to be huge and the all of the um indicators are pointing up and they're pointing in terms of it continuing. So I think that's that's very, very good. Continued this week and hopefully will continue throughout this win streak, however long it may last and beyond. But on that note, I actually do want to take a second to talk a little bit about how long this win streak could last. I mean, we're starting a new week here. Again, as I said at the very top of the show, I was completely wrong. So I, uh, I I might not be the best person to guess any of this because um, I said that this, this streak would end tonight. When Damon Allred came on the show this week, I said that they would lose to Denver. Now, I definitely did not know that Nikola Jokic would be out. I somewhat assumed Michael Porter Jr. might be back, so I won't. Who cares? It was a random prediction. It was a dumb guess, and I obviously got it wrong, but... Maybe I'm not the person to continue to doubt them and and put this on the line, but they have two incredibly difficult games. They, granted, do have a day in between them, so that's a positive, but they have Brooklyn, well, they have New York, the Knicks on Friday, which leads into a back-to-back against Brooklyn. Not a terrible back-to-back, literally the same city, but still playing games on back-to-back days against Brooklyn on Saturday, and then you have Golden State on Tuesday right after that. So you get two, an extra day of rest. You get two days between the Brooklyn and the Golden State games. But that that three-game slate over the course of five days, that's a, as big a challenge as there might be. Um, and then you also have a road game against Golden State on Friday, December 3rd, the same week as that Tuesday game at home. So again, a nice rest week for the most part, but that Golden State game is on the second night of a back-to-back, flying from Phoenix out to to uh, San Francisco. So I would say they probably lose one of those games to Brooklyn or either of those Golden State games. But that, let's say they lost on that Friday to Golden State, that would still be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 game winning streak. I mean, that'd probably be the longest in franchise history, if I'm remembering correctly, and a pretty huge achievement to hang your hat on, a pretty huge cushion in the standings. So even if it only lasts that long, keep enjoying this. This road trip should be a fun test. Devin Booker's always played excellently on the road. We know in the playoffs, the Suns were a road machine. So I don't think that just traveling will slow them down. And I do think that they will pile up several more wins before they're really tested again. Not to say that the show is over. I want to talk about Frank Kaminsky and his stress reaction in his knee and what that means for the bench rotation, what that means for him and just general thoughts on the season that he had had and hopefully is going to continue to be able to have. But I wanted to tie a bow on the on-court stuff because this one is just a little bit more big picture for the team and injury news related. So we'll get to all of that in just one second. Do not go anywhere. First, a quick word from Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet, my favorite protein bar and my favorite snack during the holiday season because we know how much, how easy it is 
to snack during the holidays. We all love Thanksgiving, food, good food treats, leftovers, maybe turkey soup, maybe some extra dessert the next few days. But we also know that that can have some ramifications. Just one slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. A built Bar, on the other hand, only about 130 and only about four grams of sugar with plenty of protein. So a much better snack option if you're digging around in the pantry <coughs> than another slice of pie or cake or turkey, even cranberry, whatever it might be. Built Bar is the way to go. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, all covered 100% chocolate, all soft and easy to true, all delicious and new surprises all month. I believe they're coming out with at least one new flavor, one surprise bonus flavor every single week from here on out throughout the holiday season. And there's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. So mark your calendar and check back at Built.com all season long for new favorites, special offers, and more. Again, that's Built.com. When you make your purchase, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Frank Kaminsky, unfortunately, um, goes down. And I will read the specifics of the injury, and then I'll tell you what I initially thought about it. So stress reaction in his, fr- in his right knee out indefinitely. He had missed the past two or three games with a knee injury. It was not really elaborated upon Um And now he is out for a while. We don't know if he's getting surgery. Monty Williams just sort of expressed remorse that it had to happen right at the worst time when, if you remember, Kaminsky obviously had the career high and he was playing so well, really, really spurred up, spurred along this winning streak when it first was beginning with his strong play. And even when DeAndre Ayton came back, Monty Williams found a way to get Kaminsky on the floor. Now, I don't know if that was going to continue. I was advocating for it to continue, for Kaminsky to play over Nader. All beside the point, because the timing was terrible, and that was exactly when the injury struck. And so I totally uh, agree with Monty. The, The timing is terrible. It's disappointing that he wasn't able to continue to play as well as he was and get the opportunity to contribute for his team. And... It's it sucks all around. But what I was going to say is that it reminds me of the last time that we heard about a Frank Kaminsky knee injury. If you remember, it was all the way back right before the shutdown in the pandemic uh, for the pandemic and then leading into the bubble. Frank Kaminsky did play in the bubble, did not play incredibly well. But right before that shutdown, Kaminsky had surgery, I believe arthroscopic knee surgery because I I don't know if I think it was actually a stress reaction as well. And so that's ominous for this new injury, of course, and, and hopefully it's it's not related and isn't a compounding hurt um, uh, injury. But the reason he had to get that surgery is because he did not handle the injury correctly. And I believe it was Dwayne Rankin who wrote a story about this at the time, but Basically, what happened is Kaminsky wasn't really open with the team, wasn't really honest, and tried to play through the pain, play through the injury. It hurt a lot. He eventually came to the team and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling discomfort and pain in this knee. Can you guys check it out? They did. And what they were able to find is that, 
yeah, it was really screwed up and it was a bad situation and he needed surgery. And so he had been out for a couple dozen games, I believe, when the shutdown happened. And then he's able to recover during that time and then get back on the floor for the bubble. Didn't really play super well trying to get his feet back underneath of him and then didn't get a contract guaranteed in that offseason. So I guess the thing that I'm saying here is that I'm glad that I guess the cor- the sort of normal course of action ended up playing out here where Kaminsky sits immediately, has the confidence and comfort to know that he doesn't necessarily have to worry about his future. I'm not saying that I believe he'll be out for the season necessarily. And of course, it's way too early to say whether the Suns would like re-sign him next summer or any of that. I don't know. But it's the right thing to do for his own health. And I guess I'm just glad that he didn't have to worry about free agency necessarily. And it's early enough in the season where he was able to get it taken care of, not have to worry because... On top of recovering from that knee injury during the shutdown, I also feel like you were, if you remember watching all of his workout videos on Instagram and whatnot, he seemed to be getting into great shape. And I think over the past two seasons, you've really seen that. I think I've even noticed it, especially this season, where he's really running the floor well, he's slimmed down, he moves better. I think that's a big part of why his defense went from awful to like maybe just a little bit below average you know whether you're looking at the stats or just the eye test or whatever he's not nearly as plotting and sort of groundbound as he was when he was in Charlotte I think he moves and 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 flows so much better so it's a real testament to the work that he put in physically to get to that point so hopefully handling this injury early doing it as you're supposed to and not worsening anything can get him back on the floor and and maybe you know who knows maybe this can be sort of a once and for all type of treatment to the knee where he's able to just move on with it and obviously that's what we would all hope but um as far as what it means for as far as what it means for the rotation we we saw a sneak peek in this game he was obviously not on the floor frank in his place, we basically saw that Monty played Mikhail Bridges slash Cam Johnson really as like a backup four. So the bench unit, quote unquote, was Payne, Shamit, Johnson, Bridges, McGee. And in this game, it was a little hard to tell in terms of the minute load with that type of a rotation because they were ahead by so much in the fourth quarter that they didn't really need to actually extend anybody in minutes but even with that Bridges played 33 in in a blowout so you could easily see if this game had been competitive he would be in that 40 range so I don't know how sustainable that is but this also was a game where Abdul Nader sat and it was for injury management on his knee of course he also had surgery for a I believe it was a partially torn ACL or partially torn meniscus that type of thing last year and then came back in that in that third round so hopefully that's not anything serious and then if he comes back things do sort of latch into place but if you're looking at consistently needing to play games without both Kaminsky and Nader while Dario is also still out there's not an awesome answer because Jalen Smith doesn't seem to have the trust of the coaching staff or they just don't want to deal with him playing if they know he's not part of their long-term plans which is just unfortunate but it is the business and they don't really have another sort of like forward option unless they want to play their two-way guys Ishwain Ryder Chandler Hutchison so 
depending on what happens with the Kaminsky thing, depending on what happens with this Nader thing, it really could kick the trade rumors into hyperdrive. And I don't have anything off the top of my head. I didn't want to do a trade candidate episode, my third one of the off of the season already. We want to celebrate the winning, of course, here on the show, but it's obviously going to be under scrutiny if the Suns now are without two rotation players. They're not, you know, they're sort of the end of the bench guys, but they matter. You got to fill those minutes, especially during the regular season. So maybe we do see the Suns peruse that market a little bit more if these guys do have to miss time. Um, I think they can survive without Frank. They'll just have JaVale play more and, and Nader can can get back into his role. But if, if Nader has to also miss time, you're really starting to get into something. So something to keep an eye on. Keep it right here. The Suns have not released their injury report for Monday yet. They don't have to until tomorrow on Monday game day. So by the time I recap that show, we'll obviously know a lot more of, of who played and who didn't. This back-to-back should be interesting. Not a very fun flight at all to the San Antonio Spurs. So keep it right here. I'll let you know what happens. I'll recap the show right after the final buzzer and enjoy your Monday.